0: If you're watching online with us, thank you so much for being with us today. I am so grateful to be here. In fact, my wife and I and our two kids uh, moved here four and a half years ago. And since then, we added a third one. Um, You will probably see her if you're around here anytime uh, when I am because she's crazy. Um, But she's just running around. She, even at two, believes she owns this place. Uh, But we absolutely love getting a chance to worship here. To work here, to serve here, it's been a joy over the last four and a half years to get to do that. In fact, uh, my wife and I both hail from Oklahoma, and we got a chance to go back uh, a couple weeks ago and spend some time with our family and, and get a couple weeks away, and I remember flying in and landing in Spokane, I, I, I looked at Abigail and I was just like, "And I'm so glad to be home, that over these last four and a half years, Spokane has really become our home, and we are so grateful to be here. And I love getting to work here, and I'm so grateful for the leadership, the elders, and Dan, and all the staff that I get to work with. It's it's honestly humbling, and I love what I get to do and where I get to do it. So thanks for letting me be here. I get a chance to carry on a series called Lessons from the Lake, where we're going to spend most of our summer looking at different A lessons from the Bible that surround or are around uh, bodies of water. And what can we learn from that? In fact, last week, Adam did such a great job, didn't he? He did such a great job sharing with us this story of Naaman and the healing that can come. And if you weren't able to be here or didn't get a chance to watch it, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. But at least wait till I'm done. Like, don't don't pull it up right now. It's, It's just awkward for me. So don't do that. But... I get a chance to talk about the lake. And I, I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, we, we don't have coasts in Oklahoma. It is a very uh, landlocked state, um, but we have a lot of lakes. Uh, in fact, if you need uh, useless knowledge, I have a lot of it, uh, and I'll give you some now about Oklahoma. There are more man-made lakes in the state of Oklahoma than anywhere else in America. So next time you're at Trivia Night and that comes up, you can thank me and I'll take 10%. Okay? Whatever your prize is. But there's more man-made lakes. I spent a lot of time growing up on a lake. I spent a lot of time uh, growing up on a lake. I was fishing with my, my with my grandma, uh, or out swimming my cousin, or a, a, out swimming my cousin uh, from all the snapping turtles that were at the lake that we grew up going to. Uh, or I remember even in high school regularly going to the lake with my, with my best friend, because his parents had a boat, and I would spend every extra minute I had on his boat, or on his jet skis, or on the tube, or wherever he could, we spent so much time on the lake. In fact, I learned a lot of my most practical lessons on the lake, If you're watching online, I'd love to hear, uh, just put it in the chat, some of the lessons you've learned on the lake, on a pool, in the ocean, whatever it might be. But I'm gonna give you a couple of my best lessons that I've learned on the lake. First, you need to know that you have to triple, quadruple, quintuple check before you cast your line. Or you might just catch your classmates eyelid with a hook. Learn that on the lake. I also learned that I can't walk on water. In doing so, I learned the lesson that a duck feather is not a worthy prize to try and test that theory. My parents weren't happy about that one. Um, I also learned not only could I not, uh, I couldn't walk on water, I also could not ride my bike across a lake. In addition to that lesson, at the same moment, I learned that adults move very, very quickly if they see an eight-year-old trying to ride his bike across the lake. So all very practical lessons. You're welcome for that, and you'll know how to interact at a lake now. But it wasn't just me that spent a lot of time on the lake. No, Jesus, Jesus spent a lot of time around a body of water, this lake. In fact, the locals called it the Sea of Galilee. And much of his ministry was spent on and around this lake. And he taught some of his best lessons there. In fact, it's where he taught the lesson that we're going to learn about today. A lesson on focus. I don't know how you are at focusing. I'm not the best at it. I often struggle with focus. Focus on the right things, not just on the pressing things. I struggle to focus on the long-term, not just the immediate. But on the flip side, I often struggle to focus on being present, not just thinking about the unknown and the future. But Jesus is about to teach a lesson on this lake, first to his disciples and then to us. And this is the lesson. I'll give it to you right at the front. The lesson is when Jesus is our focus, the impossible happens. If you wanna follow along with me, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 14. And we'll get there in a second, but I wanna set the scene. Because this is a pretty famous story of Jesus's ministry. But one of the things that stood out to me is all that happened to Jesus that day before we ever got to the story that we're gonna spend our time in. So the day starts when Jesus finds out that his One of his closest friends, John the Baptist, was killed by the local authorities. He receives that news, and he decides he needs to mourn. He needs to grieve. So he decides to retreat, to go away from the crowds. He had spent days, weeks at this point, healing and ministering and preaching to the crowds that came around. And everywhere he went, these crowds began to form, and he decided to withdraw And he pulled away and he went around to the side of the lake, except the people saw where he went. So they met him there and he went to be alone, to grieve the loss of a really dear friend. But he saw this crowd, these sheep without a shepherd, and he had sympathy on them. He had mercy on them. And so he began to minister to them, to heal them and to preach to them and to to teach them. And the morning turned into the afternoon. He started to look around and say, man, we need to feed these people. So he tells the disciples to feed the people. And they're like, Jesus, that's not really our specialty. Like we we're kind of following you. We came from fishermen, like we were fishermen, we were tax collectors, chefs, not one of the 12 you recruited. So I don't really know. And he's like, just figure it out. Just do it. What do we have? And they're like, we've got five loaves, two fish. Like, what can we do with that? And then he just iron chefs it and feeds the whole crowd. Like, he feeds all of them, all 5,000 men plus women and children, and like in an instant. And it's starting to get late. It's starting to get to the evening. And he's like, all right, now it's time to, to send them home. And all of that transpires in the daytime before we ever get into the story. And Jesus still hasn't got a chance to go mourn and grieve and pray over the fact that his dear friend is gone. So we pick it up in Matthew 14, verse 22. It says immediately after this, immediately after he learned the news from, about John the Baptist, he went away to pray, but the people interrupted him. So he, he taught them, he healed them, and he fed all 5,000 of them immediately after all that. Just that, no big deal. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. They had a job to do. And while he sent the people home, and after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. See, Jesus sends the crowd home. And then he finally gets to retreat as he intended to earlier that day. But he sends his disciples ahead, and they're going to be fine. Trust me. They're going to be just fine. These are experienced fishermen, about three or four of them. They know what they're doing. Never mind that just six chapters earlier, he had to rescue them because there was a big storm. And they got scared. They thought they were going to die. He had to come to the rescue. He was asleep. He's like, why'd you wake me up from a nap? And, and then he saved them. And then just went back to sleep. And they were like, we're going to be, you're fine. It's just, it's four miles across the lake. You're going to be fine. This is where a narrator would say, they weren't fine. Verse 24 says, meanwhile, while Jesus is doing that, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting off heavy waves. So Jesus is off by himself and they found themselves stuck, okay? Jesus sent them away at 6 p.m. At this point, We're at 3 a.m., okay? They were trying to go four and a half miles across the lake. They have made it two and a half miles in nine hours. That is not efficient. This is not efficient. And they were caught in this storm, a storm enough to where even the, the trained fishermen couldn't figure out how they were supposed to go, where they were supposed to go. There was no mercury motor on this boat. They had to do all of it and they couldn't figure out how to do it. It reminds me of a couple of years ago. We took a group of uh, high school students to the Philippines. And at the end of the trip, we had a chance to, to, to go just take a couple of days and re, like rest and kind of enjoy the area. And we got to do a little snorkeling. Except we went to this snorkeling place at the beginning of monsoon season. So we got on this boat that you see. We got on this boat. And they said, it's going to be fine. It doesn't matter that it's torrential downpours, we'll be just fine. And the narrator said, it wasn't. And we went all the way around to this snorkel spot that they were convinced we were fine. And you know how many fish we saw? Zero, because the fish don't like rain as much as I don't like rain. And I wasn't certain that this boat was making it back to our hotel. And I looked at some of our leaders that were there and I was like, I, I might die right here on the South China Sea. Like it just like, it just might be where we're at. But because I'm here today, you know, we didn't die there. We made it back. But I imagine like some of the non-fishermen, the non-boat trained people in this boat, they're probably freaking out at this point, right? Kind of like I was in this monsoon on the South China Sea. But about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. Walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, in their most masculine like, voice they could, they cried out, it's a ghost! Because <laughs> here's the thing, if you see a ghost, there is no lower register in your voice anymore. There, there, there's no lo- lower register. If you're terrified, it's just up. It, there, that's the only thing. And naturally, that's the response. The response is, it has to be a ghost because humans don't do that. It wasn't in their, like they had more of a conception that there was gonna be an evil spirit than that there was a human walking on the water to them. They didn't expect to meet their savior on the water, but they expected that this ghost might help them meet their savior on the other side. You see, they were terrified. Their eyes led them to believe that what they saw was going to kill them. Their eyes told them that they should be afraid. What they saw, it wasn't good. But then a voice came. In verse 27, it says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. That phrase, I am here, you go back to the original language. It's actually the same words that God used in the burning bush to talk to Moses to say, I am with you. Go tell Pharaoh that I am since you. It's the same phrase. He wasn't just saying, listen, somebody's here that can help you get this boat across the lake. It wasn't just like a friendly guy that saw you have a flat tire on the side of the road and decided to stop. He's making a statement about who he is in this moment. He's not strolling down a sidewalk. He's walking on water. He says, take courage. I am here. To paraphrase a sermon from Mike Todd, he says, what God says in the storm is more important than what you see in the storm. Because your eyes are going to deceive you, but the word of God never will. And you may be in a storm of your own insecurities. And when you look in the mirror, you're not impressed by what you see. You're convinced that you're not good enough, but God has already declared you a masterpiece. Your eyes might deceive you, but the word of God never will. And what God tells you in the storm is more important than what you see in the storm. And these last, I don't know, 15, 16 months, what we see feels terrifying. But God hasn't left the throne. God hasn't let go of his control. What God has told us in the storm gives us comfort, even though what our eyes see causes fear. And Jesus spoke in the storm. And then Peter, oh, Peter. Peter called to him in verse 28, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. (laughs) Peter. Peter yelled out in the middle of the storm. Jesus, if it's you, I'm coming to you. If we're reenacting this, I'm not playing the part of Peter. I'm not. When we went to the Philippines, somebody had to stay back and watch the bags. That's all I'm saying. Like in the boat, we had to make sure the bags were safe. That was me. If we're playing this back, I'm not Peter. I tend to be more comfortable in a boat that I know isn't going anywhere. And a lot of us are the same way. In fact, Peter gets a lot of flat. For this and what's about to happen, but he's the only one that got out of the boat. Peter's the brave one. I I wonder what the others were thinking. Certainly, they were questioning, like, Peter, are you, are you serious right now? Like, we don't know for sure that's Jesus. Like, are you sure? And he he gets that, and they know, like, we know what happens when somebody gets out of the boat and they get into the water, one thing happens. It's called gravity. Gravity happens. They knew what was supposed to happen when he stepped out of that boat. And we often rush. When we read this story, at least when I read this story, often rush from the moment Peter stepped out of the boat to the end of the story where he's all the way in the water. But I think we miss the lesson of the story. It's in the moment when he steps out of the boat, Peter demonstrates When Jesus is our focus, the impossible happens. Don't miss that. When Jesus is our focus, the impossible happens. See, he should sink. He should not stand on water, let alone walk. Gravity, logic, physics, they all tell us what happens next. Instead, Peter stood and he walked. See, when Jesus is our focus, the impossible happens. And I wonder, what's the impossible that can happen in your life today? What's that impossible thing that you've been waiting on? It's hard to keep our focus on Jesus because most often what happens to us is what happens to Peter next. In verse 30, says, but when he saw, when Peter saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. See, we all have these things that surround us, these things that scream for our attention, that tell us we aren't good enough and that we're not gonna make it. And as soon as Peter's attention switched from Jesus to his circumstances, the impossible became impossible once more. And I've often forgotten At this point in the story, like when Jesus shows up, I kind of assume that the storm just naturally goes away. Kind of like we do, like we assume when we give our life to Jesus, the storms that we're in are just going to dissipate and we're just going to stroll to Jesus. But as I was studying and I was reading, like the storm is still raging. Jesus calls out over the storm. He invites Peter in the storm. I guess I assume the wind died down to make it easier for him to walk. But in my life, when I'm fighting to focus on Jesus, the waters around me rarely are calm. In fact, man, this last year has been tough. It's been tough for a lot of people. And we've been blessed, my family's been blessed in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, it's been really, really tough. I remember a, a couple months ago, in fact, I was sitting in our auditorium before a service was gonna start, And I was feeling overcome, kind of feeling overwhelmed, just knowing I I found myself focusing on the wind and the waves around me, almost kind of just like, yeah, I think this is just, this is what it's going to be. I'm just going to live here now. It wasn't a fun place to be. I I remember feeling the waves were just crashing in a little too close. And there was a moment as I sat in an empty auditorium when I remembered who Jesus was and what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised and who Jesus is. And I remembered the promises that he'd made and it became a little bit easier to stand in the water. And what's interesting is nothing about my situation changed. The waves didn't crash any harder or or any less hard. The winds didn't dive down. But I began to remember that the one who had me was bigger than the storm around me. And I wonder if sometimes our focus has drifted from Jesus. I know at times it's true for me. Maybe it's true for you as well. Maybe you've lost hope that that relationship is fixable. Maybe that pressure at work is just too much. Or maybe you're just telling yourself over and over that there's no way you actually measure up. You see, Peter had let the waves and the wind around him consume him and he began to sink and oftentimes we find ourselves there and we can stay there and we can just sink all the way to the bottom if we want but peter cries out save me lord save me lord my encouragement to you is don't drown in your own decisions jesus stands ready don't drown in your own decisions because here's what happened next Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Immediately. He didn't hesitate. He didn't waste a moment. Immediately, even after he had fallen, even after Peter had made a stupid decision, even after he began to sink and maybe drown and all these different things, immediately, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples then worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. After they had crossed the lake, they landed on Gennesaret. You know, that's the first time that his disciples declared that he's the son of God. Only demons and Satan had declared that to that point. And they saw something big happen. And they saw this incredible display of power that night. After seeing a pretty... Pretty powerful display with the fish and the loaves earlier that day. And it led them to worship. See, when, when Jesus shows up in your life and he becomes your focus and the impossible happens, what you're left with is worship. Imagine for a second that that relationship is restored. Imagine for a second that your addiction is finally broken, your peace that has been lost is found, and what you believe to be impossible has happened, not because of you, not because of anything we can do, but because of Jesus and what he has done and what he continues to do here today. See, Jesus stands ready to do the impossible in your life if you will put your focus back on him or maybe on him for the first time and follow his guidance. And I promise you, I promise you, if you step out of that boat, it's going to lead you into uncharted waters. It will stretch you. It will grow you. It might even hurt. But it's also going to be the place where you see in your life the impossible happen. And in the lives around you, impossible happen. The question remains, Are you ready to fix your eyes on Jesus and take a step out of the boat? Let's pray. Dearly Father, you are so good to us. And there are these stories in your your grand story that that just so accurately display your power. There's no way to explain it. What we're left with is worship knowing that you are higher than our highest thoughts. You are greater than our greatest endeavors. Lord, the wind and the waves obey you. Water becomes solid under your feet. If that's true, Lord, we give you our life. If you can do that and you can allow Peter to do that and you can rescue him no matter how many times he falls in the water, then you can do that in my life too and you can do that in everybody's life who is listening and watching and here today so Lord I pray that you make the impossible happen here it's in your son's name we pray amen so you're left with a decision stay in the boat that spoiler alert it's not going anywhere it's not but the one who calls you out of the boat and into the storm has power over it. And the wind and the waves obey him. The water becomes ground underneath his feet. And maybe you're decided that your life is that boat going nowhere and you're ready to just journey with Jesus no matter where you're at, no matter where he leads. We got Scott over here at the cross. And if you're watching online, then type it in your chat. And there's a host that would love to talk to you And you can decide today to put your focus on Jesus for the first time or the hundredth time. See, this wasn't the last time that Peter's going to doubt Jesus. But it's also not the last time that Jesus is going to welcome him in. Jesus has a spot for you too. And for the rest of us, when we see the power of God on display, we get an opportunity to worship. And when nature is going to bow at his feet, maybe we should too. And if the wind and the waves are gonna obey him, then maybe I will too. You see, now is the time to respond. Respond in decision, respond in prayer, respond in worship. Let's stand and let's respond.